it is nice to see you. And for those that are joining us online, we're glad that you're with us too. John made the comment, we've missed being together. Online has served us well, and over the last year, it's been a wonderful resource to maintain connection. And we're going to continue to maintain that as best we can. We don't want anyone to be lost in the mix. We're aware that for some people, they've got um, considerable medical reasons as to why, for them, online is the best place to pitch their tent. For others, it's so nice to be together again. So often in Scripture... There are these moments where people are gathered together and the Holy Spirit meets them. Now, I do believe that in our quiet time, in our individual space, we can have these God encounters. But so often there is the sense that God makes his presence present with his people. So it's wonderful to be with his people. And to those online, as you can join us in future weeks, please do. We miss you. We notice you. We remember you. And we look forward to seeing you soon. So last week, we ended by Mike Mullen, who's a dear man, original founder of the church, been on the board for many years. Uh, He sent a message to myself and Sarah and some others and said, I'd like to pray for you, and I believe as a church that we should pray for you. We've been in a housing challenge that's been getting worse, not better. We moved here two and a half years ago, told our daughters that we're going to be renting for six months and then we'll buy a house. Uh, Six months became two and a half years, and during that time, uh, things just got harder, not easier, both personally and economically. For us, in the first year, we couldn't buy a house because, strangely, the U.S. banks and the U.K. banks don't talk to each other, and any credit history we had there, we started again. And then in year two... Um, We had a a once-in-a-century pandemic. And during that time, uh, economically, things just went crazy. And the property market has been horrible, 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 horrible. Um, Sometimes people tell these stories, and it sounds like a good story. It's not been good. It's been horrible. It's been lousy. Uh, And last week, Mike insisted that we take this moment. And we were so so blown away. It's been a year where we've tried to do our best, but often you don't see people. Feedback's scarce, or as often is the case in our kind of culture, feedback is only there when it's not very good, and it's been a hard year. So to feel the love, the support, the embrace of people, that blew us away. That was, that was so wonderful. We, we felt your standing with us, so thank you. Uh, And people prayed, and people prayed enthusiastically for a miracle, because buying a house at the moment kind of feels like you need a miracle. Uh, And the next day, we bought a house. (laughs) Uh, We had the second viewing on the Sunday. After the prayer, it felt quite strange. We're praying. We're like, we're going. We looked at this house on the Saturday. We went for the second time on the Sunday. We took the girls, which is a dangerous game to play. Because you know when you really want something and you see something? Here we go. Get it done. No pressure. 
And then the next day, we took um, our friend who's a contractor to look at the house. And uh, it's such a strange time to try and do this. Um, but we took some advice and we prayed. We didn't really know how to do this. Uh, we prayed and you prayed. And we gave it uh, our best attempt as we could. And we were told that the offers needed to be by five and that they would be presented to the seller at seven. And that we'd get a call and we're sat there waiting. And eight o'clock came and went. And in my mind, I'm thinking, when you don't get a call and it's now 8.15, you're the call at the end of the line because you didn't get it. And we got a call and we got it. So we've... Um, We've bounced and, and felt God's goodness, and we felt your, your standing with us, so thank you. Uh, I need to go from that to this. Today, I want to continue. Last week, I spoke on what do we need to do. The last few months, we've been looking at who Jesus is, and what does that mean, both in the historical sense, where we always want to start with this, not opinion, not religion, but this. And then what does that mean to us today? And over the, last, over the next few weeks, I want to be asking the question, so what do we need to do? It's good to know this. It's good to be informed and challenged. But what do we need to do? What is our role? What is our participation? I made it clear last week that in many ways, it isn't about what we do because what Jesus has done is sufficient. And he has done what is required. There is nothing left that he hasn't finished. It is finished. But there is an invitation for people like you and me to participate, to step into the story, and to use Jesus' language to follow him, which is an active word that talks about a continuation of movement, not just a, a tick this box once and it's done. So what do we need to do? Last week I talked about believe, and for many uh, of us in this church and in the world, the church in the wider sense, we need to believe again. We need to believe in the now and in the next. And today I want to look at a subject that when I say the words, many of you will say, I've done that. I want to look at what does it mean not just to have done something, but how is that changing us today? I want to talk about baptism. What do we need to do? We need to be baptized. And I'm not just asking, when did this happen for you, as in there's this date in the past. I guess what I want to look at it from the, what does it mean, and therefore, how is it changing the way I'm living today? We need to be baptized. What does that look like? I want to begin by saying something about the past. I made a comment that, for some of us, baptism is something that happened, and there's this date uh, which we can go back to. When we look at the past, it's interesting what it can trigger. It can trigger the sense of, oh, that was good, that happened, but it can trigger other things. I will tell you that for me, I struggle with regret. I don't struggle so much with failure or mistakes or when things don't work. As someone who's an ideas person, a creative person, I'm quite comfortable with the fact that some of our ideas don't work. Some of the things that we we planned this way and it ended up another way. But regret is a challenge. Regret is something I don't like. Over the last year, especially with the housing market, watching things move away from us, there has been a sense of regret that why didn't we do something sooner? Why didn't God step in then? Why didn't this opportunity come along? In jest, I would say, we should have prayed. A little bit like we did last week a bit earlier. 
But regret can do things. So there's been times when I've regretted why didn't, why didn't we buy a house sooner? Um, there's other regrets. There's times when I've interacted with a conversation on social media. And you know when you say something and you can't unsay it after you've said it? And I've regretted that. Or I've liked a post which I haven't fully read everything around it. And you can't, you regret this. A very personal story. The week my brother passed away, uh, he called me two days before and he asked me to do something for him. And I told him I couldn't. And that's always, that's always stuck. Regret's a challenge. But I want to look, and I want these messages over these next few weeks to very much be in the present. What can we do today? Even the subject of baptism, what does it mean today? You may have different experiences, regrets. I read this quote. I'm going to put this on the screen. Uh, it's a C.S. Lewis quote. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. As I look at these subjects about believing again and being baptized and being in community, I want to ground it in the present that we are active in the now and how we live and assemble our lives around Jesus will change what happens next. So we bring all our past with us, the best bits, the worst bits, but I want to encourage you to engage in the present. So baptism, what is it? What does it mean? I'll go through this quickly. Many of you will be aware. A baptism is a person responding to Jesus and receiving the new covenant that he or she has been made available to receive by the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The Last Supper, Jesus served the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Covenant means agreement, relationship, connection or contract. And in the Old Testament, there was this agreement and it was around how you live. And Jesus at the Last Supper says, there's a new agreement that's being made available. It's a covenant. And baptism is receiving this and stepping into this. It is a covenantial act. It is the act by which a person is declared to be a member of the body of Christ. I'm not saying a member of the organized church. I'm saying a member of the body of Christ. We are joined together with Jesus. And it is a public declaration where we tell others it's active. It's what's happened privately in this moment often happens publicly and others sometimes see it. Numerous references appear in Scripture detailing baptism. In each case, baptism was a vital part of a person's response to the gracious offer of salvation. Jesus has offered salvation, and we receive it, and baptism is an obedient response. It's part of receiving that. That sentence deliberately puts baptism and salvation next to each other. There is not this large gap between one and the other where we do the first one and then we're on this test where let's see if we can live to a certain level of holiness and if we can, maybe baptism is for us. That's not the way Scripture frames baptism. Baptism is a response to the generous offer of salvation made available by Jesus. Let's look at some Scriptures. 
When we look at some of these subjects, I am aware that we have a mixture of experience and story. I want to honor your story and honor your experience. But as a church, as we shape our way around how do we operate, how do we celebrate these important elements of Scripture, we will build our framework and our decisions around what we see in Scripture and in the person and the teaching and the example of Jesus. At times, that clashes with some aspects of our religious tradition and history. And while I don't wish to dishonor or criticize the stuff that we invented over the centuries, I want us to be shaped around the person and the ministry of Jesus. I say that as a disclaimer, and we'll get more into that later. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to turn to a number of quick passages, and then there's one we're going to spend more time in. So the quicker ones will appear on the screen. First one, Galatians 3 verse 27 says this, For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. So when I said I want to be looking at what this means for us today, all of you who were baptized, for those of you that have this past story that there was this date, we are clothed with Jesus. That moment, that immersion, that washing away, that end and beginning happened in a moment but continues to change us in this moment. We are clothed with Jesus. What does that look like in you today? Are you seeing that? Is your baptism being outworked in you today? In your words, in your thoughts, in your conduct? Because you're clothed with Jesus. Some examples of scripture where we see baptism. Acts 2 verse 41, the day of Pentecost. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added in one day. Again, the idea that there was a course that they had to undertake is simply not true. We often have invented things that aren't there. This day of Pentecost, there's this moment where people are gathered. It's in a diverse group, and no one expected what's going to happen next. Then the Holy Spirit, the person of God in Holy Spirit presence appears and changes people. And the response of that is one of salvation that instantly leads to baptism. Acts 8, verse 12 to 13. The Samaritan believers, which was a group of people where the religious crowd saw this group as an offensive crowd on the outside. They've not read the book, passed the course, attended. They don't know Torah like we know it. But God moves. When they believed, Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. There are no exclusions to the eligibility. Simon himself believed and was baptized. He followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. This baptism that happened in a moment changed them, and there were signs. A sign is revealing and is saying something. It's pointing somewhere, and in the context of Scripture, it's pointing to Jesus. The miracles of Jesus were signs that were pointing to who he was, who he is, and who he will be. Baptism is meant to do the same, that we were baptized, 
And the story of baptism is active in us and is a sign that points people to Jesus because it's still changing us. Acts 10 verse 48. This is this. So he ordered that they were baptized in the name of Christ. They asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The story of baptism was changing people all over the place. This is the story of Cornelius and his household. This is someone who's on the outside again. But yet what has happened is come into his house and it instantly spreads and changes everyone in the house. Last one, Acts 16, verse 33. At the hour of night, this is a jailer who's in prison. This is Paul and he's in prison. He took and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. It is radical. It is wild. It is not a religious exercise. The Holy Spirit is changing people's lives. The story and salvation of Jesus is impacting people. And their response is one of immediate obedience to being baptized. Baptism is an end. It is a washing away. It is a death and a burial and it is a new life. It is a new beginning that happens in a moment and continues to change us beyond the moment. Some points from those short scriptures. In all of these instances, baptism was after the people had heard the good news and confessed their lordship to Christ. Baptism was a seal of their faith. So who is this for? You probably saw this. It's for anyone and everyone. It is not for some people of a certain level of understanding or education or church attendance. It's not for one people group and not another group or ethnicity. It is wide open for everyone. The Spirit of God changes us. The story of Jesus saves us. Baptism is the response that we make. This is where I want to challenge something in a respectful way, but at the same time, uh, present that we build our decisions, our practice, our conduct, and our, our faith, and our theology around the person and, and example of Jesus. So I'm going to look briefly at the subject of age. And at this point, we're talking infant baptism or believer's baptism. I'm aware that we will all have different stories and experiences, history and heritage. I don't wish to dishonor any I wish to look at it from a scriptural perspective and ask, how do we engage with this? Uh, I'm going to introduce a resource that, that I've used and I use, and I'll read something from this to explain, and then I'm going to draw some biblical answers. What I'm not going to do is tell you necessarily you should do this and believe this only based on opinion, but I want the scripture, I want the person and teaching of Jesus to shape our decisions. If that causes offense with you, I'm okay with that. Because this is the person of Jesus. And that's how we're going to build our church, our teaching, and our ministry. This book is called Across the Spectrum. It is a book that looks at a number of the subjects that at times can cause controversy and disagreement in the church. It is an academic book. It's explained like this. This accessible yet comprehensive primer explores the breadth of viewpoints on major issues 
in evangelical theology by examining positions taken by evangelicals on 17 seminal issues. It looks at one persuasion and another persuasion, and it listens to both, because it's always good and honoring to listen, even to people who disagree to you. Uh, it's an academic book, but it's accessible. I'll tell you the story. I, I used this book as part of my studies a few years ago. I ordered it from Amazon, and the book didn't arrive. Instead, this book arrived. Easy way for women to stop smoking without gaining weight. <laughs> I ordered across the spectrum, and I received easy way for women to stop smoking without losing weight. Somewhere in the world, there is a lady who was trying to stop smoking, who was concerned about weight gain, who received a book on academic theology. And I received her book. Um, I introduced her to lighten what, for some people, is, is, oh, this is spicy. This is some of the opinions in church. I'm only going to read a short section. All Christians throughout history have agreed on the basis of Scripture that baptism is important. Historically, baptism has not been understood to be an optional practice. It is commanded by God, but there has often been disagreements about whom baptism is for and how it should be done. The dominant practice throughout church history has been to baptize infants by sprinkling or pouring water on them. In Catholic theology, this is done primarily to wash away original sin. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, however, baptism is understood primarily as the rite by which a baby or adult is joined to the church. Many forms of Protestantism also practice infant baptism, but they vary in their understanding as to what the practice accomplishes. For example, the theology of traditional Lutheran churches is similar to that of Catholic understanding. Baptism washes away sin. Presbyterian churches reject this understanding over believing that baptism is the means by which children are included in the covenant-God relationship. Other forms of Protestantism believe baptism is reserved for people who have made a personal decision to believe and follow Jesus. Some groups perform this ordinance by pouring water on a believer's head, but most carry it out by immersing the person in water. Here, too, there is a variety of understandings. A few groups who practice adult baptism believe that baptism is God's means of remitting sin in the believer's life. Others hold a more Presbyterian view, seeing it as a rite that publicly initiates a person into God's family. The most prevalent understanding among those who practice adult baptism, however, is that it's an outward public testimony of God's inward work. This is the most common view among Baptists. All of these issues are debated within evangelicalism, but the most Important debated issue is whether it should be performed for a child or purely made available at the decision to believe and follow Jesus, the age of understanding. Hence, this is the debate. Some of you will land in different positions here. I love you all, honor your story, may well disagree with some of you because I want to base it on Jesus and on the New Testament. The passages I read from Acts the Cornelius, the, the jailer and his household, the day of Pentecost, all of those baptisms were a response to the work of God and the story of salvation on the person. They were not a decision that was made by a parent on behalf of someone else. 
the shift, the decision, was never forced. The story of faith from Genesis to Revelation is God in His grace loves people, wants to be in relationship, but yet never forces that upon them. It is always a loving invitation to respond. Jesus says, follow me, aware that some will say yes and some will say no thanks. They're not forced. It is the decision of which the person says, I want to do this. I want to respond. I want to receive. And baptism is their decision. From Jesus, we see that there are no New Testament examples of infant baptism. Therefore, I will build my theology, I will pitch my tent around the example of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, that it is an invitation that is made freely to everyone and that they can choose to respond to. And we pray that they will respond for salvation and that they will respond for baptism. So if you were baptized as an infant, I would encourage you, if you have received Jesus and you are receiving Jesus, because we were saved and we are saved and we, will, we are being saved and we will be saved, I would encourage you to make a decision for yourself to receive the gift of baptism that is available and accessible easily and often. That is the model of Jesus. Children were welcome to Jesus. Jesus said, let the children come to me, and he blessed them. But baptism was a decision from all of New Testament example where somebody came to a point of understanding. They said, I want to do this. So if you were baptized as an infant, I would encourage you to make a step to be baptized at your own decision based on Jesus saving you and changing you. So when? When do you do this? When you've decided to follow Jesus. But for us, what does it mean? Let's look at this. This is the passage we're going to spend a bit more time in. Acts 8, verse 26 to 38. This is the story of Philip. This is the story of the early church. People are traveling, teaching, telling the story of Jesus, and incredible things are happening. I read this and pray, I want that in my day. I want that not just in the history books, but I want that in my day. And we pick up this story in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandak, which means the queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began 
with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. What a remarkable story. In the beginning of the book of Acts, the disciples asked Jesus a question, when is all this going to happen? Jesus said, it's not for you to know all the times and dates, but there's going to be this moment where the Holy Spirit's going to come on you in power, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. For the original disciples of the day, the ends of the earth really were the ends of the earth. Most of them were not wealthy people, fishermen or tax collectors. They lived in a remote part of the world, and the idea that you would reach the other end, the ends of the earth, just sounded crazy. But yet, this message is going to reach the other ends of the earth. In this story, that prophecy is being fulfilled because Philip is meeting someone from Ethiopia. To him, it's like the other side of the world. What God said would happen is happening. I don't want to stop it. I want more of it. The spontaneity, the conversation. This passage, I don't understand all the details, says the person. And Philip says, that's okay. Let me tell you the good news of Jesus. If you are sitting there thinking, I don't understand all the details, you are in good company. Let's tell you the story of Jesus. And Philip explains the story. And the response of the person is one of, I want to know this Jesus. And then he asks the question, which almost sounds like, is there a hindrance in the way? What is to stop me from being baptized? The answer is, nothing is to stop you from being baptized. I love this. For those of you that like to know all the details of the text, this desert road was less traveled. There was a more popular road between these locations. But there is this divine intervention where an angel appears and says, take the desert road, the unusual road. If you look into these locations, if you've ever looked at the atlases or the maps in the back of your Bible, this is thought to be the area where David confronted Goliath in the Old Testament. Where's this story where God is doing something and it looks small and insignificant in this David person. And there's this towering obstacle called Goliath. But God is removing the obstacle in the exact same location, this desert road. And for this person who's got questions, he's reading scripture and not understand it, God is again removing the obstacle, this towering obstacle that sometimes we've created in the church, these religious obstacles. I don't want any of them. I want the power of God, the story of Jesus, to change us, to change those around us. I don't want us to create obstacles I don't want to dishonor people's history or heritage, but I want our theology to be built on the story, the teaching, and the example of Jesus where there's nothing to stop what God wants to do to change people. And for those of us that have already received baptism, I want us to be thinking, what does it look like to live that out now? What does it look like to be clothed in Jesus now? Another passage, Ephesians 4. We'll put this on the screen. 
Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 6. Maybe we won't. I'm going to read it to you. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This passage speaks of unity It speaks about being one, and the frequency of the word all doesn't exclude anyone. It is a remarkable time in history where disagreement and disunity is easy, and unity, even in the church, is a challenge. It's easy to fall out with someone. It's hard to to disagree and we end up making one person wrong so the other person can be right. This passage is written to believers, talks about the importance that the church would be one and it uses baptism as an analogy, that baptism brings us together, that we are baptized into the body, the community of church. My hope for us that have been baptized is that the one baptism that we've received unites us and while there are reasons why we can look where the opposite of unity is the outcome may the baptism of Jesus unify his church that's a hope and a prayer that I have last passage Romans 6 verse 1 to 4 What should we say? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life life. May the importance of baptism continue to change us now. We can't go back. We probably have things that we wish we had done differently. If we could said something, not said something, made a decision, or you may have been baptized and lived way far from God. We can't go back, but we can, like that C.S. Lewis quote, make a step in the now that leads us to the renewal that what Jesus has achieved, he clothes us with. And baptism is part of that, and it's an important part of that. So, for those of you that were baptized or have been baptized, may I encourage you to live out the power of your baptism now. May I encourage you that as you clothe yourself in Christ, 
that that will bring unity to those around you that look and sound different to you. And may I encourage you that what changed you then continues to change you now. And then for those of us, and I'm saying us because it could be anyone. It could be someone in the room. It could be people online. As a church, I want to make it easy and often that people believe and are baptized. We are going to not have a baptism once a year anymore. We are going to organize baptisms frequently and often. We're going to buy a tank. I don't care where we put it. I want to make it easy and often for people, as we read in the New Testament scriptures as an example, to believe and be baptized easily and often. So if this is stirring you because you're at the point where you know for yourself, I want to make a response that we're going to make it easy and often. And at the back today when you leave, speak to myself or Tara, and we're going to give you a number of dates and options where we can celebrate what God is doing. And if we can't make one of those dates work, we'll do something else. Because to quote the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, I'm not going to make hindrances where Scripture makes no hindrances. What is to stop you? Nothing. Believe and be baptized. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray. Before I pray, just close your eyes. I want to encourage you to pray. Jesus, if you want to speak to me, if you want to tell me something, I want to take a moment now. We're not going to sing another song, but Jesus, I want to hear. So often when we pray, we tell God things. I want to encourage you to listen as well as speak. And It may be something that we've said or something that you've heard in this message. It may be something completely different. Jesus, speak to your people. Thank you that you love your sons and daughters. You love everyone. And you desire to speak to us. Lord, speak to us. And Lord, for many of us who we've responded to you, we've been baptized, but we probably regret that we haven't fully lived out the power of that in the way that we could. Lord, we ask that you forgive us, and we ask that you change us. Lord, in this moment, Lord, I ask that you would clothe us in Jesus in a way that would refresh us, would change us, and would, like we see in the story of the early church, flow from us to those around us. And Father, for anyone who hasn't been baptized or was as an infant, Lord, speak to their hearts. 
Thank you for the generous, easy, open invitation that you make to believe and be baptized. Lord, for anyone who hasn't responded to this yet, I pray that they wouldn't delay. Not because of my words, but because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Lead us, change us, refresh us, baptize us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. Those in the room and those online, we love you. We wish you a great week. Do head out that direction. Men, speak to John about the men's retreat. If you want to speak to our terror myself about baptism, let's do that. Let's celebrate with you. Have a great week.